This microchip can take up to 26 weeks to make. They're the brains behind almost everything we use in our increasingly electronic world. In the US, there are more than 10 million job openings, but only 5.7 million unemployed workers available to fill them. Even if every unemployed person in the country found a job, there would still be 4 million open jobs. The market for programmable devices is already huge and continues to grow, driven by the unrelenting march forward of technology, a need for new applications, better performance and more features. This market is expected to be worth an estimated $15.2 billion by the end of this year, compared to $7.9 billion in 2017. New products are being developed for IoT devices, including smart home applications, industrial automation or Industry 5.0, autonomous vehicles and generally higher performance embedded systems which require specialised devices. These devices need to be programmed in order to perform the tasks demanded of them and then secured if they are internet connected. Now, seemingly more than ever, there is a trend towards subcontracting the programming of these devices, propelled by market forces ranging from volatile chip supply, constrained labour market, the rising cost of capital investment and difficulty in raising debt. With these prevailing megatrends at play, why is outsourcing your IPC programming a competitive and sustainable option to ensure your projects are rolled out on time and on budget? My name is Kira McCarthy. I'm the Chief Marketing Officer at EPS Global, and I'm delighted to chat today to Colin Lynch, who is EPS's CEO now, but has a background in electronics engineering. So, Colin, can I start by welcoming you to the Critical Lowdown and asking you to give us a bit of background about electronics engineering, where you started out and where your career has brought you till now? Yeah, thanks, Kira. Um, I'm delighted to get a chance to chat about this stuff. Um, so my background, as you say, is as an electronic engineer. I started off in business um, with a, a company called Teradata, who made the, the very first database that was one terabyte, uh, ter terabyte large. So I'm dating myself uh, significantly with that statement. <laughs> How far um, we have come? Yeah, yeah. And I've been I've been involved in in um, the distribution and programming business since you know the mid '90s, I guess. And and there's a couple of there's a couple of I guess trends that I I see in the market now that are are, are somehow different and and um, somehow leaning customers towards considering um, subcontract programming and then there's a number of things actually that that ha surprisingly haven't changed that much in that time um, like it still takes around the same time to program any particular device that it ever did even though those devices are much you know bigger and more memory and higher speeds and all that stuff the actual time in the programming cycle ha hasn't changed much in my time in the industry so it's 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 a few there's a few there's a few things in this that are that are pretty constant and you know worth considering for any customers looking at this okay um i guess if we start from the top you know if you could give us an overview of the different classes of devices yeah. that Need to be pre-programmed. Yeah, I suppose when you when you when you talk about uh, what is programming, it's effectively loading software onto a, onto an electronic device. So, I mean, people will understand that when they they buy a, an electronic gadget. Quite often, the first thing they need to do is connect it and, and download software, and that's one way of loading software onto a chip on a device that comes over the internet. It tends to be quite slow, and it, you know, ultimately, you know. The things that are are programmable are things that effectively have memory in them, or or logic that needs to be 
and um, configured before you build and ship a, a, a device in a product. And um, so that, that would primarily be memory. You know, uh, flash memory is all non-volatile. It's 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 a lot of that is used in data storage, which is not programming. But th there's a big program market for um, NOR flash, where you know the the operating system, or the if you if you, if you think of it in terms of the BIOS, the, the the code that needs to be on a device for it to do what it does when it turns on. And, and that's that's often pre-programmed in memory. Most microcontrollers are pre-programmed. Most mi microcontrollers have non-volatile memory in them, and they're they're pre often pre-programmed in some fashion so that when your dishwasher or washing machine or turns on, the 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 the, the circuits know what to do because they've got code in them already. That's usually pre-programmed by the manufacturer. Um, and and then finally, logic devices, um, which you still see in 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 in, in um, a lot of a lot of uh, a lot of applications are usually pre-programmed. So, I mean, uh, uh, 30 billion micros a year, maybe 10 or 20 billion programmable flash memory devices, maybe 5 billion logic devices. I mean, it's a lot of chips and it's growing every year. And the number of devices as, as a category in class that are programmed as a percentage of all the devices that are made is generally increased over time. Mm -hmm. Okay. And, and what are the options to load the software onto these programmable devices? There's a, there's a number of ways of doing it, I guess. Um, I mean, often the first way people consider is is that they would ask their um, chip manufacturer to do it for them, um, and that, that would probably be the first item you consider. And, and, and that obviously has the advantage that it's it's done, the device comes ready. Um, but quite often, the chip manufacturers are not very keen on that unless you're a very large customer, and unless mm -hmm. your code changes quite seldom. Generally speaking, there will be fairly high thresholds and volume breaks associated with that type of service um, from a chip company. And, and all, you know, chip companies spend billions and billions of dollars in infrastructure making chips. They've got to realize that into cash. And, and they, they're really not keen on an additional process cycle of adding software to their chips at the end of that. They, they, they'd rather monetize their investment straight away and leave the business of loading software to the customer or their, or their, or their partners. So that, that would be probably the cheapest, easiest, but but comes with a lot of constraints. It's only available to a very small number of very large customers. Yeah, no, I was just going to um, make the observation that the software doesn't necessarily stay static. There's often updates. Um, I, I mean, presumably, I, 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 yeah, I've bought a, I, it's funny, I bought a, I, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a golfer. I bought a, I got a new golf watch last week and it's a brand new product really a really interesting product actually from a customer of our shot scope but i've I've, up, I've updated the software twice in the first week based on emails i've had from them so like that's not a, that's not untypical i mean your software is at its most volatile when your product is new and quite often you you know you produce a product and you immediately see things you want to change and you know you, you can't change the hardware when something is shipped but you can significantly enhance the product by changing the software so it's not it's not uncommon that the software changes in response to bugs or security threats or feature upgrades i mean that that's that's a common part of every product cycle yeah absolutely um okay so it, it's not ideal to have them pre-programmed let's say in the semiconductor factory um but it's what, like what a lot of these options, options are... it has its place in the market it has its place in the market but it's not for everybody and then the, the other the other thing I suppose then you could do is you could buy your own machine, right? So 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 you, you could take a, a a machine that that will take your chips and, and and program it for you. If you have very tiny volumes, you can do that by hand. Um, 
generally speaking, you know, there, there's there's limits on what you can do by hand, and and, and more more often now, as, as as devices get smaller and more delicate, and you know, you're worried about damaging the devices, touching them, you know, in any sort of significant volume, and more more than if you're doing more than hundreds of devices, you know, manual programming is really not something that like under certain industries like med tech and automotive who won't accept any any manual handling of devices at all for very good reasons. And um, so you can buy a machine, the automotive machine, or the, the machines you can buy in auto- automation. Are, are generally speaking quite expensive, um, and 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 there's a I guess there's a, a couple of as you, you mentioned at the start of the the the, the, the chat a few of the mega trends that, that are actually you know causing challenges for people buying machines. I mean the, the first thing I see is when I look at those and there's a lot of you know very good companies making you know significantly good engineering. There's not there's nice products out there that people can buy. When I when I look at those companies. Most of those companies make about half of their money from selling machines and about half of their money from maintaining, servicing the machines, updating those machines with sockets and software. And I often wonder when people are buying the machines, do they really look at, you know, where the, the companies making those are making money? I mean, it's a fair a, a analog, I think, to say that if you own one of these machines over the course of the life of your ownership, you'll probably spend about the same again on service contracts and and sockets and and your cost of owning the machine will ultimately start to resemble in the long term the the the, the company's um you know own income profile right so mm-hmm. I, I often wonder when people look at a machine and they're doing those those analyses are they really thinking that this is going to cost me twice as much as I'm paying for it over the life of the machine um, and and raising capital to buy machines is just a challenging thing to do at the moment right um the, the other thing I, I always think about you know, buying machine is one thing, operating it then is another. I mean, obviously you need space and power and light and stuff, but but much more you, you need some expertise to operate this type of equipment. Um, you know, there's a there's a there's a lot of engineering every time the, the parts change, you need to work on new algorithms and sockets, you need, you know, they're set up uh, say setting up the jobs, there's maintenance, and you, you need to be able to do depending on where you are in the world, you need to be able to do some level of maintenance associated with the machine uh, quite often as well a lot of the the, the, the pricing models associated with these machines assume 24 24 hour operation but i mean when you think of staffing that I, I, I you know there's places in the world now where trying to hire experienced engineers on night shifts is next to impossible you know and, and, and impossible is the wrong way but it's extremely expensive and 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 fraught with all sorts of risks and challenges so that you know the, the business of staffing up a machine on a on a on a you know when you look at these these systems and you often you look at capacities the maximum capacities are always calculated on on three shift operation and three shift operation is tough to run in a lot of places in the world um, and and the cost of the people when you're doing that is is you know it's more expensive to hire them and keep them and and you know there's a lot of volatility associated with that and so those sorts of problems i think are probably greater challenges today for a lot of companies thinking of thinking of how they're going to program than they would have been in the past you know yeah Um, i mean sourcing talent and, and recruitment is an issue that people are experiencing across the board it's not just to find mechatronics engineers to maintain and run these machines it's a it is a mega trend that everybody is experiencing Listen, across the world people are struggling to find people who come into work between nine and five i mean how you get people to work nine sh- night shift now is a is a serious challenge and we, we we don't we don't operate like that by the way i mean for that reason 
we we generally speaking don't have three shift off three shift operation anywhere in the world. And what we tend to do is because we make our own machines, we overpopulate the equipment and we try to operate possibly two shifts in certain areas if we're particularly busy. But I think if you're trying to staff, you know, if you're trying to staff a production environment now before 7 a.m. or after 8 p.m., you're going to have serious staffing and quality challenges. Yeah, I, I can imagine that. And if I buy a machine specific to a, a job or I, I just my investment decision is based on projects that I have upcoming, um, presumably, I mean, does this same machine work for everything or if my business mix changes, can I still operate the same machine or how does that all work? Well, it, it, you can you can get lucky or or not, right? So it just depends on what the what the mix is and what it changes to. So so you know quite often you know there's a lot of as I said earlier there are a lot of good third party manufacturers. There's a lot of quality equipment out. It it does often work with many different device classes, um, but but not always, right? So sometimes you could have something that's working very well for microcontrollers. Suddenly the product mix switches and you maybe higher memory, higher density memory arrays that can significantly slow down your programming time. Again, the, the machines are, are upgradable often. Um, you know, you, you can you can update them and you can keep them up to date, but that that that's that's expensive. And as I say, that's it's it's in doing things like that that you, you know, it's where the, the, the this concept of spending double the cost of the machine over its life comes from, right? I mean you can yeah. maintain and update the machines um, but but it you know it, it takes engineering time to spec those changes and it costs money to do it. So mm-hmm. that 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 I mean obsolescence I, I wouldn't say is a is a huge issue for for that type of of, of equipment. But but it it does cost money to keep it up to date. I, I mean I think the bigger the bigger challenge for me in 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 the current straight and supply circumstances with machine ownership. Is 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 really to do with the volatility of supply, and I, 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 there's there's been a lot of volatility of supply around all markets. There's still a significant volatility in the automotive space. So, mm-hmm. I mean, again, you're you're buying when you buy machines, you do capacity plans, and you might over you might over provide, but ultimately, if you're trying to make a million units a year, and you buy a machine that's capable of 1.2 or 1.5 million, you probably feel that you're 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 reasonably well covered, and if you're you know, if your if your deliveries come in at a hundred thousand a month, that that's going to work fine. But if you don't get any deliveries for three months, and then you get three hundred thousand at once, your 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 you know your your machine with with one and a half million um production capacity is going to spend a couple of weeks and months getting out from behind that backlog. During which time now you have the product, but you you can't use it because it's not coded. Um, and so you know volatility of supply can really play with your um. Your capacity planning, and and I mean that's it has been a feature of our lives in in, in the electronics industry for the last four years. And um, in certain device classes, and particularly in the automotive space, um, it, it could be with us for some time to come. So again, that's that's one of the other the other things that I often think about when I look at at, at the real experience of buying machine versus you know how, how it looks sometimes on paper. You know. Yeah. Okay. Um, and then, if you don't buy a machine, what are the other options? I mean, programming at ICT. Can you explain a bit about what that is, please? Sure. Yeah. So, 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 um, the the, the obviously, you know, in EPS, what we're doing is really making and staffing our own machines and doing it for you. So we 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 are programming with the same type of equipment, albeit that's designed and made by ourselves. And we're providing a similar service to what you would do yourself if you bought a machine. ICT then is something different, right? So so 
in every in every manufacturing line, when you assembled a, a circuit board, it needs testing somehow. Usually, the testing comes obviously at the end of the line when the product is fully assembled, and and it's it's bespoke testing designed to test that particular product. Now, during that test, you can take the time to load software onto your flash memory, your logic or your microcontrollers. And that's a very logistically simple way of doing it, right? Your your, your, your product is there, it's in your factory and the chip is already on the board. It's all, 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 always the last stage in the production before you ship out. So the software you're able to load up can be the very latest version and the, the product is often shipped the next day. So little logistical friction associated with that and and it's a lot of um devices are done that way the challenge with that that approach um really comes um in, into how much you're trying to program and what the programming time looks like or how difficult the programming is to do so for, for example if you have a very very tiny 8-bit micro that has a one second programming time and you've a product that has a 20 second test time you're not really going to see much delay in programming that type of a, a chip in in test. It's it's not going to make an appreciable difference. It's going to be very hard to measure if you have any impact on your productivity as a result of doing that. If you've got a 256 megabit flash array that takes three minutes to program, now you have increased your test time from 20 seconds to three minutes and 20 seconds, and and now suddenly you're 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 you know you're making one device every time you would have made seven. And, and that that can now be a real challenge. The testing usually is the gating item on a production line I've ever seen, and, and you know that that's that's I think a pretty common experience. The time it takes to test the product is the longest time on the line, and obviously a production line that makes a complex circuit board is a multi multi million dollar investment, right? So it, it, it the entire utility of the entire line can often be gated by the time it takes to test, and mm. and what. People do with that is they usually would put testers in parallel so that the you know there's enough testers that they can keep up with the line. But every time you add time and test, you you need to add testers. That space it can it can make your production flow a bit a bit mucky. And and the testers that are used to test circuit boards are are expensive, generally speaking, right? Much more than the testers than, than the programming machines you use to program a chip. So your cost of capital jumps each time you need to add these. Your space consumption, all all that sort of stuff. So you find then that you actually have a, you know, very much like the can you get this programmed with with the with the producer, right? There's circumstances where it's a really good fit programming and in circuit test, and and generally speaking, people who are designing microcontrollers will try to design the programming time to be small enough that in circuit test will always be a solution. But as I mentioned earlier, I'm I'm not, not you know I'm at this quite a while, and and the, the you know the, the there, there's always more memory. There's applications are always bigger. You know, when you add, you know, for example, when you add I IoT or Bluetooth connectivity to a microcontroller, I mean, yeah, yeah, add, you know, 20, 30, 40 kilobits of code. That's the Bluetooth stack that that, that chip now needs to communicate over Bluetooth, you know. So every one yeah. of these applications, as you talk about, adds code on a previous a previous chip that was making a you know washing machine might have its code base doubled to make it a connected washing machine. That doubles the programming time. Now, over time, it gets it gets quicker, but there's other things to do with the code. There's always features added, and and uh, you know, in my experience, the the programming time 
hasn't been something that's changed a lot over my 20, 30 years in the business. Now, we were programming a lot more stuff in the same time. And Moore's, Moore's Law obviously applies to programmable devices the same as anything else. And God rest Gordon Moore, obviously, who who gave us that rule and passed only a few short weeks ago. But, but mm-hmm. I mean, you know, one of the things about Moore's Law that people often don't think of in respect to programming, I mean, the, the I.O. to the chips get faster, the chips themselves get bigger. But they they really combine as factors to just keep the programming time the same. Yeah. So there's there there isn't really the 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 the, the sort of economics of what we do from a subcontract point of view haven't really changed all that much um, over my time over my time in the business. And you know the more the more you look at you know how you improve the productivity. I mean, for example, I give you my three minutes twenty seconds example. If you if you share that business with us we charge you a per piece price and um, you know we're now we're now pre-programming marking the devices we're giving to me in tape and reel you're now preloading them when the device comes to test it has the software on already so your mm-hmm. test time is immediately back to 20 seconds and um, now you've obviously increased the price of the device by give, by by us charging you you know but that, that can be quite competitive relative to the cost of increasing your line productivity by seven times in that example I'm probably given a slightly extreme example. It's three minutes and twenty seconds, but it's a you know it's illustrative of yeah. small changes in the in the programming time can can mean big changes in your test time. And, and again, I come back to that idea of test. Test is almost always the gating factor on you know and, and then, you know now you're not talking about investments in a you know three hundred k programming machine. You're talking about investments in a in a surface mount line that could be ten million dollars of capital tied up waiting. You know, and, and if you can if you can change that from making you know two thousand pieces a day to making two thousand five hundred pieces a day, it's a significant cost saving, much greater than the saving of whatever you know individual charge you have to code up the program one one chip with a park. So okay. that's that's sort of ICT. It's it's not again. It, it's it's not. It's like a lot of the other things we talk about in this period. It's not. It's not completely cut or dry. There's loads and loads of examples mm-hmm. where ICT is a really good solution for customer. But then there's loads of examples where, you know, if guys are thinking of thinking about this in, 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 a, in a way that says, hang on, I mean, I'm, I'm saving myself, you know, 10 or 15 cents for programming charge, but actually I'm, I mean, my productivity is down by half. And, and how, you know, in certain cases, in certain device classes, that's, that's going gonna, gonna to look like a, a big change. And then with all of that being said about ICT, the, any changes that you in, introduce into the features on the device that cause that programming or test time to increase, move the dial of that decision very quickly. And and the first one that comes to mind is security, right? So mm-hmm. if you if you if you if you think now of the challenge of programming, your programming time might be 10 seconds on a small micro, but now you've actually got to go and reach out to the cloud, validate or authenticate that device, download a key. Now, the actual code base is 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 a you know 10 second time but the call home to get the to get the keys and certificates could be 20 seconds and mm-hmm. and the, the, the equipment that you you had for doing the test is, is 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 what it is but now you need to add a hsm and 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 you're you're gonna have to um you're gonna have to duplicate that hardware setup on all of your testers if you're using more than one and and so it seems like a relatively small change while you're only adding 10 or 15 seconds to the programming time 
that's probably not significant for a contract provider like us offering services. It's not it's not a huge difference in our pricing, um, mm-hmm. but it's a it's it could be a massive change if you've added fifteen or twenty seconds to the test time in the production line, and and changes like that, changes like you know the, the, you know connectivity and 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 I, I think if I look out in in the industry in the next sort of three to four years. I mean, security is going to be mandated in a whole series of classes of consumer devices where it hasn't been before. And that's going to significantly change the time it's going to take to program those devices. A lot of stuff that was previously done in ICT will be now looking for solutions from us. And I, and I think yeah. that, that's a, that's one of the big markets I see. It, it seems like a small change, Kira, but it, it's, it's, you know, 10, 20 seconds change in test time can really move your economics in, 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 in how you measure the productivity of your factory. Absolutely, at the volumes they're they're talking about it, it'll be massive. Um, so okay, so you've you've talked about the options of um getting the software, programming the devices in, you know, buying machine programming at ICT, um, and also pre-programming the devices in the semiconductor um factory. And you've also spoken now about these prevailing market factors, including, you know, labor shortages for staffing your um staffing your line, the volatility of the supply of the chips, um, the difficulty in raising debt to buy the capital equipment or the interest rate hikes. And I guess this is what is impacting the decisions to outsource the chip programming to a su- subcontractor yep. like us. So I guess what is the advantage of using a, a, a third party like EPS Global to program the software onto the devices? Yeah, typically I'm looking. I'm looking at my time here as, as usual. I spent thirty minutes talking about everything except what we do, right? <laughs> so, yeah. So okay, let me let me let me come to let me come to the the, the sort of the, what what how I I guess see the subcontract um partner. I mean, there's there's lots of other companies who are in our in, in the subcontract programming game, right? They're, they're you know we're 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 the most pervasive, the most global. We're the only one really who have you know. The breadth of of services that we have, but there's a reason for that, right? And 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 the reason why our footprint looks like it does is because if I think of all the good things that 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 a program service does, it's this stuff you just mentioned, right? You don't have to buy any capital equipment. You, you, your risk is substantially reduced. You, you don't have to hire people. Um, you, you know, you, your 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 um. Your cycle time and your test times are all massively improved. It's probably over some other ways of doing. It's probably a quality improvement because our quality systems are quite specialised. You know, we're better able to adapt on code control. We've got traceability of biometric IDs of people who've performed programming operations going back, you know, seven years. All, all that stuff that we do is 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 really really good. But if I if I think of you know the the the, the things that are, are the disadvantage, right? There's, so there's generally speaking logistical friction. You've now got to send your chips somewhere else to get them programmed and then get them back in, right? So there's mm-hmm. there's a couple of POs, you, you, you know, there's a PO and an invoice, there's and there's a there's a there, there's some transport piece, right? And and, and then the the, the and, and then there's a charge, right? We 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 charge it's not a free service. So it's, it, it does add cost when you when you do that. And 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 that's why, for those two reasons, which are the only two disadvantages, if you like, of using a third-party service, they're the reasons why our business is structured the way it is. So we are 
in many, many small locations. We're going to be closer to you than anybody else you're working with. And we're going to minimize your logistical challenges, minimize your freight costs, minimize your transit time. We're not working with two or three big centers around the world. We're working with lots of small centers, very focuses on the customers they serve. Our cycle times are very quick. So that, that our map looks like that because logistics is a huge challenge for us. We're trying to make that as easy for our customers as we can. So, so that's the first thing. And then mm-hmm. the second piece is the cost. And what we do about that is that we we don't make our own program machines. We work with partners. So we we don't have to write algorithms or, or design sockets or, or support chips, which is a huge engineering overhead. So we work with Elnec, we work with BP Microsystems, we work with Dediprog, and we we buy their systems and integrate them into automated handlers that we make. We make the handlers. And the handlers are by far and away the most expensive piece of an automated program machine when you buy it. I mean, if you look at manual handlers, they they run from five to, to 20 grand. You can check them from various manufacturers around the world. Automated handlers can start at 300 and, 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 and run on up. And depending on the features you want, um, they can get much more expensive. So for a company like ours, with almost 50% of our business in automotive, we need we need every bell and whistle that a programming machine needs to come with. We we we, we need trace stackers and tape out. We need laser markers. We need 3D coplanarity checking to make sure the device is still planar after it's been in a programming socket. <clears throat> um, and and when you add in all those types of features, you know, you, you know, programming machines run north of a half a million dollars, even for rel- ones with relatively modest performance, right? So we're we're integrating that stuff ourselves. We were very lean, a highly expert team in Brno who make these machines ourselves. So we, we 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 don't again don't make the programming machines, but we make the handlers. And the handlers is where most of the cost is. And so so what we're doing is we're 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 bringing to bear a significantly lower cost of capital than most of our competitors. And and that allows us to be very competitive. And the combination of slick logistics because we're close to you and competitive pricing is 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 our best effort at minimizing the two big disadvantages of using a subcontract partner, right? So, so you know, with, with all of the advantages that I've listed, I mean, the, the we 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 spend a lot of our time in our strategic thinking of minimizing the 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 difficulties of working with partners, and that that's that's sort of how how we go about that, right? Okay, okay, um, and what kind of markets do we address? I mean, the customer type. Yeah, that, that's that's an interesting question. I mean. The, 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 the two the two biggest types of customers I think we address today are going to be quite different from what we're going to be doing in three years time I believe yeah. but, but let me let me, let me explain what I mean by that so automotive is a big piece of what we do the, 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 the automotive market has a huge premium on quality traceability and they they must work with expert specialized partners and and generally speaking um we we've had a really good track record of of supporting we're very, very lucky to support some of the biggest names in that business. And also, the the contract manufacturing business has always had a a strong desire to work with um, contract uh, programmers because for them, you know, there's a lot of chopping and changing of projects, and 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 their their speciality is really in you know in building products, not in, in programming, and they, they, they quite often have a 
you know, pre- prefer to buy that in. It, it helps their their risk profiles and their pricing modeling and everything else. So that that, that this this sort of big electronic CEMs are, are also a key piece of what we do. And then we have a number of big industrial OEMs as well who are who are um, important customers in that space for programming, but also for other other services like taping and reeling and some some component forming and stuff that that we do, which is a sort of slight part of a slightly broader portfolio of services we also offer. So that's sort of what we do today. But I, I think that the the stuff I talked about earlier in respect of security is mm-hmm. is going to change that paradigm slightly. So I, I, you know today there's a there's a there's a lot of you know consumer micros that are programmed at ICT that are suddenly about to have to consider well actually we need a completely new hardware setup and we need to double our programming time and and and, and now we have to do that you know, if we do it that way. We're dependent for our productivity on, a, on an internet connection to a server somewhere, right? I mean, that that's another big piece of that security challenge, right? You're 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 getting keys online; they're being they're being provided. I mean, you have to be online to do that. If you've an, if you've a, so suddenly now, if your internet goes down, your production line stops, and and those types of things, I think, are going to change the profile of the sorts of customers we're going to look at significantly. So I think I think security and provisioning security is going to be a big challenge for the, the, the large ship companies. And I think we're going to partner with a number of the biggest guys in the microcontroller business. And there's going to be a number of consumer OEMs where we're going to be working with those guys in the future to provide security services where in the past that, that they wouldn't have looked at companies like us. So I, t- I think that paradigm is probably going to change, I, I would say, in the next two to three years. So, right, we've, we've talked about a number of things and these macro trends and the forces that are currently at play how are they impacting EPS Global's business or what are you seeing as a result? Is, is there anything evidence there that um, people are leaning towards the trend of some subcontracting more than they have done before? Yeah, well, I mean, we're we're um, we're experiencing a very accelerated rate of growth at the moment. Um, I'm not I'm not exactly sure how the numbers are going to bottom out this year, but it, we, we may grow as much as 30 percent in our services business this year. And have, have have sort of looked at, at you know I'm trying I'm trying to I'm trying to assess what that business is going to look like out beyond next year and beyond, um, but but I mean I I I'm seeing you know that when you look at a shift here where where you you say you know something that's been typically done in one way like an ICT for for example before is now going to move the actual market for our services is growing and um. Uh, you know, we, we've a, you know, we've a lot of customers reaching out to us looking for support, and I mean that that could actually change the addressable market we're looking at. And so, being that the growth rates we're seeing at the moment may sustain, you know, more, more, usually something like a thirty percent growth rate, you might say, you know, is is, is only sustained over a relatively short period of one or two years. Um, I, I think would think this might this might run beyond that. So I mean, we very aggressive goals within the business and in, in terms of what our expectations are, and um, you know. A few, certainly a few questions to be answered on on how people are going to work through their compliance commitments and security. But but you know there's certainly a few flavors of how they might address that that would result in significant changes to the market that we address. And and we're we're reflecting our expectations in that respect and in investments we're making in uh, in our capability to build build equipment at the moment. So we're we're heavily heavily invested already. And we're 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 sort of doubling down on that 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 uh, investment at the moment in terms of increasing our capacity for machine manufacture. Okay, um, certainly from a marketing point of view, I I'm 
have an overview of the leads coming in and the, the demand creation side of things. And I can see specifically um, some nearshoring programs that are bringing us in new leads in, in the likes of Mexico, the Americas, all that kind of stuff as well. So it's another macro trend that, you know, is, is going on worldwide that we're seeing the benefits of. Yeah, and I mean, the, the, the economics of why you would use a contract partner for programming are moved by smaller trends than what's going on in security. So, you know, it, it's effectively an outsourced service. So when you see nearshoring, you're seeing, I mean, if I look at, you know, the, the contract partners we're working with in, you know, in Eastern Europe and Mexico are very, very busy at the moment. I mean, there, there's a lot of business moving to those companies. They're, 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 they're really working hard to, to staff and, 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 and stage the business that's coming their way. The ability to have partners who can take even small pieces like programming or taping and reading out of their out of their portfolio of problems and and work with with them on solutions for that is um is, is certainly something they're keen to take up. So we're seeing you know there's some parts of the world that are growing very dramatically. But I think I think you know that well we haven't we, we probably haven't seen that growth in um in China. I think the security piece is going to make a significant difference, and I'd be very optimistic about um some aspects of our Chinese business over the next three years for that reason as well. Um, so generally generally speaking, um, yeah, changes are, changes are positive. Um, you know, good good problems in terms of how to cope with uh, growth at a fairly accelerated level. And, um, you know, I, I think you, you know yourself that the, 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 the group and the, you know, our R&D group and our development group are working hard and and all of our all of our guys in the service centers are extremely busy at the moment. I was I was going to ask what next because I always do that at the end of a podcast, but I think you've kind of covered it in insecurity and where we're looking to in, in growth. But if there's anything else you'd like to add, please go for it. No, I mean honestly, I think they're the most they're the most important things. And I mean, I, you know, the 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 um it was great actually, and I really appreciate the chance to get a, ch- a chance to chat through some of this stuff because it it, it it's 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 not often you 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 know you get looking at the industry and think actually you know something there's a there's some changes going on here that are a little bit more than the sort of steady growth that happens typically year on year you know and and I I I definitely think how how people are working is is making a big change to what people are interested in contracting or not you know and mm-hmm. that, that 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 people and talent management piece is going to be huge for our business and that you know. Again, you know, if you, if you look at, I always say that, that, you know, you look at the difficulty of getting people to work, you know, at an office five days, that's that's going to become a huge challenge for companies in, in, in the production manufacturing sector. Um, so, so you know, if that's your challenge, getting people to work at night is going to be, you know, disproportionately difficult. And, you know, our our approach to that is is a is a, is, a, is, a, is I think an easement in at least the, the areas that we work in. Um, and then and then. You know the, the other big mega trend is security. I, I, I mean, there's there's going to be legislation in the EU and the US in the next eighteen months, and I think we're going to see. You know, we we've already seen more leads in the first three months of 2023 than we saw in all of 2022 in our security business. It w- wouldn't surprise me if that growth continues. All sounds very positive. Um, so listen, thanks for joining us today, Colin. I appreciate uh, the chat. All right, thanks very much, Gareth. Cheers. various technologies and terms on this podcast. To our listeners, don't forget that all of the information you heard today is available on our website at epsglobal.com forward slash podcast. Until next time.